cartoon picture Bibles that they had. They were awesome because they had almost every story in there. It wasn't just the David and Goliath stories. I mean, they had all of the stories there. And so uh, naturally, I gravitate to the historical accounts that take place in the Word of God. I like hearing the story and reading and seeing the story of David and Goliath. I like the story of Moses parting the waters. All of those are there. But uh, those of you who are old enough or those of you that spent time with your grandparents like I did, perhaps you remember Paul Harvey's and his, uh, I think at least in De Quincey it was always at noon, and no matter what Paul Paul was doing, we stopped at noon to uh, uh, drink some coffee, probably eat a sandwich, and turn the radio on and listen to Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. Anybody know those or know what I'm talking about? They're awesome. And uh, many times we have a working knowledge of a story in the Bible, but many times if we're not careful, we fail to recognize the rest of the story. It's easy to, 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 to talk about Jonah and you know go into the... Um, going to Nineveh and preaching and all of Nineveh being saved but I preached about it a a few times ago Jonah the end of the story was bad and I want to talk to you a little bit about the story of Gideon and and in this I I think there's going to be some some truth that you can extrapolate out and grab a hold of but what I want to tell you if I was going to condense this sermon into, into one or two sentences It would be this, be careful how you handle the blessings of God. Be careful how you handle the blessings of God. Because sometimes God blesses and it changes our life and you're worse off for it because of how you handled the blessings of God. And so I want us to look at the story of Gideon. Allow me to start it and to talk about it. And of course, we're in the book of Judges. Judges covers quite a long period of history, over 400 years, and in that, uh, the, 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 every man did what was right in their own sight. That, that's, the, that's the crux of the book of Judges. Because of that, God allowed the enemy, and again, I, 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 you got to go back. If you read the, the end of Joshua, if you read the beginning of Judges, you find that God had commanded them When you go to the Canaan land, when you go to the promised land, drive out, kill, destroy everything there. Wipe it clean. Don't let anything stay. Don't let anyone remain because if you do, they will affect you later. That's a whole other story and sermon all of its own. And they didn't do that. And so because they begin to fall away from the word of God, because they, they would do things that they thought was right, God would allow those, those elements around them to rise up, bring them into captivity. And then, of course, once they're in captivity, what do they do? They get spiritual. I'm not saying that any of us have ever done that in our life, that we only pray when the things and the road gets tough. I know none of you have ever done that. But I know people that have done that. Is that that a good political way to say that? You know? They wouldn't give God the time of day until chaos comes in their life. They wouldn't come to church unless something bad is happening. And I'm not against that all the time. Uh, There's people in this church, there's some of you, that you came to God in a time of great crisis in your life, but I'm thankful that once God fixed the crisis, you're still coming to church, and I applaud you for that. But there's a lot of people that come to church 
when, when they lose their job and the bills are piling up and there's no money in the bank and then all of a sudden God blesses them and they get a new job and you never see them again. But they would call, they would cry. Many times over in the book of Judges, they would call unto God in their time of, uh, uh, of trial and God would hear them and God would raise up a judge and that judge would help defeat the enemy, would help lead them, would judge them, would guide them. And then when that judge died, or sometimes they didn't even die, they would, the, there goes the downfall of Israel again. Judges chapter 6 opens pretty much the same way as I've described. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them to the hand of Midian for seven years. It got so bad that whenever the, the Israelites would get ready to go uh, take the crop out of the field, right before they could go and pick the crop that they had watered and worked for and weeded, the Midianites would come and would take the crop right before them. The Midianites would watch. They were evil. They would watch. They would wait until they knew it was right. They knew it was ready, and there they would come. They would come, and they would encamp about them. <clears throat> they would come and steal their livestock. All of that began to happen. And so the Lord heard the cry of the people. It got so bad that they would, uh, and, and you find it at the beginning of Gideon's life, Gideon is, is threshing out wheat, beating out wheat. In the middle of a wine press, he's hidden. He doesn't want anybody to see him because he knows that if they know what he's doing, they'll come and take all of the grain that he has worked so hard to do. It's during that time that an angel of the Lord appears. And you have that incredible story. Uh, uh, here's Gideon. He's scared. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is trembling. And yet the angel of the Lord comes and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's amazing what the Lord sees that we don't see. And so Gideon goes, you're talking to me? You're talking to me? And, and anyway, it goes and the Lord says, I'm, I'm going to you know, use you. I, I, you have found favor with me. And I, you're going to strike the Midianites as one man. And so Gideon, he, Gideon has a lot of uh, fear. Gideon has a lot of trepidation. Gideon, uh, we, we sometimes use Gideon in a negative light when we talk about fleecing the Lord. But as you're going to see, all of us have those moments where our faith and our fear are trying to figure out which one's going to win. And I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't throw us away when we're waffling between fear and faith. And so Gideon says, if this is really you, Lord, stay right here. Let me come back. Gideon goes to his house, gets a young goat and unleavened cakes. And he comes and brings them. He puts some broth in a pot. He brings them back and he... He, he, he shows it to the angel, which is really a, a, a theophany, a, a, a vision, a manifestation of God. The, the, the God says, go put it right there on that rock. Gideon lays that pot of broth on the rock and God calls fire down from heaven and it begins to uh, uh, consume that, or, or you know, spring up from that rock and consume the meat and leaven cake and then God is gone. And so God tells Gideon to go do something. He says, I want you to go up here and I want you to tear down this altar of Baal. And Gideon does. And Israel is in such a bad spot that they get mad at Gideon for doing what God said and tearing down the altar of Baal. And, and God is still calling Gideon and saying, I, I want you to save Israel. And Gideon, he again, that fear and that faith, it's going back and forth. Fear and faith are polar opposites. And, and Gideon says, well, here it is. If this is really you, and if you've really called me, then 
I'm asking that I'm going to lay this piece, this, this fleece or this piece of wool on the threshing floor. And if tomorrow the ground is dry and, the, and this fleece, this, this you know, wool from the, from the lamb, if it's wet, then I'll know you're, you're God and, and I'll, I'll do it. So he goes to bed, he wakes up the next morning, he comes out, all of the ground is dry and the fleece is wet and, and it's a sign from God. But again, fear and faith. Gideon goes, you know, fleece, it soaks up wool, it soaks up water. And so it, it, it could absolutely be natural that it has absorbed all the water and it's still wet, but the ground is dry because it wasn't as wet. Uh, so God, how about we reverse it? Please don't be angry, but why don't you reverse it and tomorrow let all of the ground be sopping wet, but that wool in the middle of the ground be dry. He wakes up and it's there. And that is something that's probably not going to happen. Wool is going to suck the moisture up. And so Gideon says, okay, I know it's you. So there we're going to go. So Gideon gets ready. Gideon knows that he's been called to attack the Midianites. And this is what amazes me. When you read the Bible and you see the numbers uh, of, of people that were in the Bible, Gideon gets uh, he, he begins to, to get some men together. He gets 32,000 men. I want you to think about that. 32,000 men. I believe that's very similar to what the, the population of Winsville is right now. I think Winsville is in the mid-30s. 32,000 men, and Gideon is going to lead them to attack Midian. God begins to speak to Midian. Or, or God begins to speak to Gideon about that. And I want you to look at Judges chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. I'd like to tell you right now, and there's other places, there's other verses. As I've been reading the Bible, I've been kind of writing this little note uh, down. And, and here's, what, here, here's one thing I want you to take out of it. In your life, God wants the glory he didn't want the children of Israel to say you know what we had a pretty good army 32,000 people I mean we went up against Midianites and we, we whipped them good and, and man we got a really good army I like this and you say well, well pastor where are you going I'm saying that sometimes God looks at us and he says you know what quit saying that you did it quit saying that it was your uh, schooling that allowed you to accomplish what you've accomplished or, or your smarts that allowed you to accomplish but God wants the glory and I believe that's why he said this it's not going to be by your might it's not going to be by your power but it's going to be by my spirit saith the Lord God wants the glory and so God says, I want you to ask all of the, you know, there, there's 32,000 people. I want you to ask him, say, if any of you are scared, you can go home and, I, no, you know, no problem. Just go home. So Gideon gets up, maybe on a rock so he can yell real loud. And he says, okay, if any of you are frightened or scared, I want you to go home. And 22,000 people turned around and went home. Now he has 10,000 people. 10,000 soldiers. His, his army just dropped by, by, by a little over two-thirds. And, okay, still got 10,000. Gideon, I'm sure, is going well. 
I kind of like the odds when we had 32,000, but I still got 10,000. There's some good soldiers here. Let's do it. And then God says, wait a second. <clears throat> I want you to do something else. Let's, let's go down to the creek, and uh, I want you to tell them we're going to get some water, and I want you to watch them. And, 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 and those guys that you know kind of get down on the ground, and they stick their face in the water and slurp it up, I want you to send them home and those that kind of sit and pick up water by their hand and look around while they drink it, I want you to keep those guys. So here comes 10,000 people and Gideon begins to watch and out of those 10,000, 9,700 of them would just stick their face in the water and suck it up. They were concerned about themselves but there were 300 men that had a little bit of presence around them that says, you know what, we're still kind of in a battle and, and still kind of in some dangerous uh, areas. So they would scoop water up and drink it while they could survey their surroundings. And God says, take those 300 men and I want you to defeat the Midianites with 300 men. I want you to think about that for a moment. From 32,000 to 300. Somebody said this way, and I, I really like it, Someone made the statement, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. How many times have I preached or have you heard? We, it's not enough just to say, I have faith. It's not enough just to say, I believe. But do you have faith? Uh, uh, J.G. Stipe. That's a hard way to say that. Can't say it very fast. J.G. Stipe. I have no idea who this is. But I did find a quote that I really like, so at least he said one good thing. I know that. J.D. Stipe said this. He said, faith is like a toothbrush. Everyone should have one. Everyone should use it regularly, but it's not safe to use someone else's. That's true. I, I'm thankful for the faith of, of my my. Forefathers. I'm thankful for the faith of my grandparents. I'm thankful for the faith of my parents. And they have raised me right and they have brought me here. But I'm going to tell you right now, I will not get to heaven on the coattails of their faith and what they believe. I'm going to have to have my own faith. I, I, I can't say, this is why... This is why I believe God under, knew what he was talking about when he would say over and over, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob couldn't say you're the God of Abraham and, and be okay with that. Jacob had to get to the place where it was his God too. And so that faith had to be there. See, God tests our faith because of two reasons. Number one, he wants to, to test our faith to show us whether or not our faith is real or counterfeit. And then the second thing is he wants to strengthen our faith. Because first off, it's real easy to know if your faith is real or not. If you don't act on your faith, it's fake faith. If I, I've said it often, but people a lot of times they'll say, uh, uh, "I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe in faith. I don't need faith. Faith is a archaic thing. You know, I only believe in reason." Well, I, I think that's dumb because, again, you've heard me say it. Every time I go to flip on a light switch, I am operating on faith that when I flip that switch, it's going to turn on. And I've operated on that because, for the most part in my life, the, the, the electrical companies and the places I've been have been extremely reliable, and there's only been a handful of times in my life that I've ever flipped on a switch 
and it not come on. So I'm going to tell you, my faith in the electricity is pretty good. But you could go to some third world countries and they'll find, tell you their faith isn't all that great because they flipped on their switches constantly and it doesn't come on. But so, so if I never turn the switch, then I never have tested my faith. And then also to strengthen, isn't it amazing how many times God puts us in a time of testing our faith before he gives us a victory that we desperately needed to strengthen you? And sometimes he gives you some little things for you to kind of exercise your faith on because he knows coming down the pipe is something big that you're going to definitely have to trust him in. And so God tested Gideon's faith first by taking 32,000 soldiers and, and bringing them down to only 10,000. Kind of interesting, God never told Gideon why he was doing it. Other than the fact that he said, I don't want you to have glory. God never gave Gideon the idea of what he was going to do. And, and, and so it is that, 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 see Gideon, I'm sure as he began to look at that ledger and go, man, I am bleeding soldiers out left and right. And I think in our life this is very true. Because all too often we're a lot like King Uzziah. In 2 Chronicles it says, he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to destruction. It's easy to say I have faith when you feel strong. But let a trial come. Let a moment of weakness come. Let a moment where you lose something come. And see if you can still trust him. Paul said it best. He said, for when I am weak, I am strong. It doesn't make sense in the natural. But Paul understood it. And so it was. And so God began to sift that down. See, God understands, and, and it's, it's the downfall of Gideon. God understood pride. That if, if they won that battle, it would be very easy of, uh, of those soldiers and of Gideon to say, look at our army, look how awesome we are. And it's the same thing that ruined the, the children of Israel at the battle of Ai after Jericho. God gave them an incredible victory at Jericho. And because of that victory, pride entered in. And instead of remembering it was God that brought the walls down, they said, we can do this. Ai is a little bitty city. Let's go attack them. And they got themselves whooped soundly. So it is. <clears throat> and so then the second sifting took those 10,000 men, said, let's drink. And it gets down to 300. And he gave... Gideon, a promise. He said, Gideon, I promise you that by these 300 men that lapped up the water, you'll defeat the, Gideon, the uh, Midianites. And so here it is. It's now time for Gideon to, to, to go to war with 300 men and attack and defeat the enemy that's there. Uh, but Gideon still has some fear. And I understand. You've just lost, you know, what is it, 90-something percent of your army? And here you are standing there. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And I'm thankful that God understands the trepidation in our heart. And so God began to give him another, uh, 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 you know, another time, another promise. A fourth time, he says, I'm going to deliver Midian into your hands. And then he says, tell you what, Gideon. 
I wanted you to attack Midian tonight. But instead, I want you and one of your servants, I want you to creep into the camp of the Midianites. And they creep into this camp, and they hear a couple guys talking. And they're talking about how one of them had a dream and a barley loaf big old loaf of barley bread came rolling down the mountain and it flattened it all and and, and I find it very interesting in, in this story they this army of Midian says we have heard of the sword of Gideon now I want you to think about that for a moment what has Gideon done in his life that should invoke fear in the enemy nothing the last thing you heard of Gideon was he was in a wine press, scared to death, beating out grain because he was scared someone was going to steal his wheat. But yet somehow the Midianites have heard of the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, and this is what they said. We know that God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And I'd like to tell you today that the enemy is far more scared of you than you could ever imagine. Even if you don't feel up to it, even if you don't feel very spiritual, if you'll just walk the path that God has called you to walk, the enemy has already heard your cry. And so it is that he says, this is what we're going to do. I want you to get in one hand a trumpet. It was not a silver trumpet. It was probably one of those shofar, those ram's horns. On one hand, these 300 men, I want you to get a trumpet. In the other hand, you're going to carry a, a clay uh, vessel. Inside is going to be a torch that's going to be lit, but that, 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 that vase, that clay pot is going to kind of cover it so no one can see. And at the moment when I blow my trumpet, I want all of you to blow your trumpets. I want you to smash your clay pot, and I want you to lift your, 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 your torch, and we're going to defeat the Midianites. And so in the middle of the night, after they had set their watch, they gathered around the camp of the Midianites and there on the outskirts a trumpet sounds and then 300 others join with them. A cacophony of noise as they crash and they break the pots and, and all of a sudden fire and lights begin to encircle the camp and it so frightened the Midianites that they begin to fight one another in the darkness in their haste to escape. They were running over each other, tearing up each other and there was a great Victory won. It goes more than that. I don't have time to do it all, but it goes more than that. As they're running away, Gideon finally is now allowed to get some other people to help him. And so there's a lot more that gather to run after the Midianites and attack them and, and get them and pursue them. And it's all there. God gave him wisdom. God gave him courage. God gave him an opportunity. But with the victory came you know, in, in our world today, uh, th this is a very old stat. I couldn't find a newer stat, uh, you know, at the moment. And I'm sure that's out there. But uh, in 1993, it was mentioned that there were 56 nations that have landmines. And in 1993, and I know they've probably come a long way, but Angola had 20 million mines, landmines that were still out there. They weren't even in war. They're left over from other battles. In fact, they're, they're saying that, that, that it's, just, it's just incredible how many landmines are there. And so there's some places you can't even go. You can't, they don't want you to walk because you never know when you're going to hit a landmine. And victory has some landmines in it. 
that we got to be careful of. And, and so it is that, that in Judges chapter 8, you, you begin to see how uh, Gideon begins to, to navigate some waters. I'm, I'm not going to focus on... Uh, how he answered his critics. There were some that were very critical of, of how he handled that, that battle. And then there were some that were skeptical. But I want to focus on Judges chapter 8 and verse 22. And I want to talk to you about the danger sometimes of the blessings of God. And the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. There were two requests that came. One was a request from the people to Gideon, and one was a request of Gideon to the people. The people wanted a king. They had just seen a great victory. They were all excited. They were ready to set him up as a, as a dynasty. You know, that's why it said you and your sons and your grandsons be king. They were ready for it just to, uh, uh, you know, let's crown a king. They had forgotten that Moses had told them you don't need a king. Let God lead you. And, and they had forgot all of that. But he, he uh, Gideon says, no, 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 that's not me. I, I'm not supposed to do that. And it sounds really good. It sounds pious. It sounds like, you know, he knew what he was talking about. No, no, you don't want a king. Let the Lord rule over you. But the problem was what he said sounded good. What he did said something completely different. Because while he rejected the leadership of being a king, he lived like a king. I want you to look at verse 24 of Judges chapter 8. Verse 24. And Gideon said unto them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you, I want you to give me the earrings from your spoil. They had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites, Midianites. And so Gideon said, you know what? We've just destroyed this entire nation. And, and all of the soldiers would have wore golden earrings as well as other, you know, uh, they'd had armor, they'd had swords, they'd had money, they'd had all of this. And Gideon said, I want the earrings of everyone you killed. Bible says that those earrings after they gathered him in and the people gladly gave it to him they spread a cloak and every man threw the earrings of his spoil and the weight of the of the the golden earrings that he requested was 1700 shekels of gold uh, a, a shekel uh, of gold uh, when you begin to to go through it and you begin to do the math it, it tells you that it's it's about 41 pounds not not one shekel but 1700 shekels is a little over 41 pounds of gold. And Gideon said, you know, I deserve this. I, I led y'all to battle. I, I, you know, I only had 300 men to help me at first, and I did all of this. I want you to give me all of that spoil of, of, of that, that 41 pounds of gold besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midians and the collars that were around the neck of their camels. And Gideon's victory became his downfall. There's other places in the Word of God. Abraham is one of them. There was a time where Abraham won a battle, but he refused to take the spoil because he realized it belonged to God. And, and, and the, the problem is he, he began to think this. Look at the blessings of God, and then he said, I deserve this. I deserve this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a... You know, I've done something really good. God has blessed me. I deserve it. 
That right there would be bad enough. But it's what he did with that that makes it even worse. What he did with that is that he made an ephod of it and he put it in his city in Ophrah. The Bible says all of Israel whored after it there and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. And Midian was subdued in the land of Israel, raised their head no more, and they had 40 years of rest in the days of Gideon. Now there's a few things. Some people have said that Gideon made an ephod which was part of what the priests wore. Others said that word ephod really should be translated as an idol. Either one of it, it works. I tend to think it was kind of like uh, what Aaron did with the golden calf. Remember Aaron? He, he, Moses is up on the mountain and, and, and he's getting the word of God and the commandments of God. Aaron's down there. Moses comes down. There's a golden calf. They're all dancing and worshiping it. And Aaron said, I was just trying to, to make an image of the God we serve. And I believe that, that Gideon made an, an, an idol, an image, and his victory became his snare because when he made that ephod the Bible says the people played the harlot not only did Gideon stop giving God the glory but the children of Israel stopped giving God the glory and instead of worshiping where the tabernacle would have been set up they would come to Gideon's house they would come to Gideon's place and they would bow to that idol and they would give their worship to that idol and they would give it to there and Gideon missed it because he thought the blessings of God meant he deserved it all and instead of the glory of God being given back to God Gideon kept it Gideon had a lot of wealth. Gideon had a great, you know, reputation. He probably thought that his children were going to be well taken care of. He said, I don't want to be king, you know, my children king after me, you know, dynasty, but, you know, my kids are going to be set. But here's the tragic truth. Gideon had 70 sons, and 69 of them were killed by one of the sons who began to go a, a bad path. And so... 69 of his sons were killed by their half-brother and he was killed by a woman who dropped a stone on his head. Because there's something very important. I want you to listen. I know that this may not have some, some real good, you know, point one, point two, point three, but I want you to catch this. There is no security guaranteed in your life outside from the will and the blessings of God. I know that we've, we've ruined a lot of stuff with this prosperity doctrine and people have corrupted it and they've tried to say that, you know, you, you can just speak it and it's going to happen and you're never going to have any problems and so we've corrupted that so bad. But I'm going to tell you right now, while we understand it rains on the just and the unjust, we understand that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. But there is a principle in the Word of God that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. But Gideon got it wrong. At the beginning of his life, he sought the Lord. At the beginning of the life, he listened to his Lord. At the beginning of his life, he was so thankful for the blessings of God. But his decline was his pride. He started by humbly depending upon the Lord. But at the end of his life, he didn't need the Lord because he had arrived. 
He, he, he started out as a servant, but he ended up as a celebrity, if you will. Because he missed the fact that sometimes the victory comes with some landmines that you got to be careful of. Because he quit giving God the glory. Now, I don't know that God is going to come to you at, tonight and catch you in your bedroom and, you know, say he's called you to fight an army. I don't, I don't think that will happen today. But all of us here are going to be at some point in our life, and probably some of us are in it right now, where we see the hand of God on our life and we know that we're here because of God's presence. But what do you do with that? Where do you go with that? Do you continue to give God the glory for every, every level of the ladder that you get to climb? Or at some point, do you sit back and go, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. I've made it. I've arrived. We've got to be very careful that we don't corrupt the blessings of God and turn it into pride. But instead, it's Matthew chapter 5, I believe it's verse 33 that I quoted. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you hopefully Sunday night I'm going to preach another character study one I was going to preach a couple Sundays ago but the spirit of the Lord moved in such a mighty way I'm going to preach a character study of Lot and there's a lot of the similarities in Lot's life that we're going to find but I have seen something in my life that's, that's held true I, I, I was youth pastor. I, I could see it. Church that I pastored in in the 70s, there was an incredible revival. I mean, a powerful revival that swept. The church went from a couple hundred to running 800 in the 70s because of the revival that was there. And when I became youth pastor there, and I preached this there, so I'm not, you know, they've heard me say this before. I'm not disparaging anyone. They've heard me preach it. But uh, I, I watched as I was the youth pastor and I noticed something. I noticed that there was a generation that had had came into the church and they had trusted God and they had gotten saved and God had moved on their life but then their kids grew up and now were adults and you know they kind of forgot where they'd come from kind of forgot how far God had brought them and a lot of them had incredible jobs. They were very successful when it comes to the corporate world and the business world. They, they had the money. They had the cars. They had the houses. But they kind of forgot what, how much God meant to all of that. And then the, the second and, and even the third generation, because some of the, the young people in my youth group, they were third generation. Their parents weren't as faithful as they had been. Oh, well, it's, it's because, you know, I, I've got this job that takes all my time and you know, I'm just a little tired on Wednesday nights. And, you know, Sundays, I, I, that's my only time to go have fun. We, we've got a, a lake house up here. We've got this and that. And I watched as God began to slowly remove his hand of blessing. And I watched in people's lives as God said, you've allowed the pride to enter. 
I was ready to bless you. I brought you this way, but you, instead of giving me glory, you kept it for yourself. And I watched God take his hand away. And I watched one by one tragedy strike until finally they got to the place where they said, you know, it was him all. And I want to tell you today, you don't have to get to that place where you lose everything to get back and say, God, to you be all the glory forever and ever. But I challenge you, in every aspect of your life, give him glory. And if you do so, you'll find that God will keep moving you along and God will keep blessing you and your children will be blessed. Andrew uh, uh, Bonner said it this way, let us be as watchful after the victory as we were before the battle. Before the battle, we're praying. Before the battle, our spiritual disciplines are there. Before the fight, we're asking the Lord, what do we do? But sometimes we lose all of that after the victory was won. But Andrew Bonner said, let's be as watchful after the victory as we were before the battle. I wonder if we could stand today. A sermon like this, I, I, it's, it's only going to be applied if you do some inward looking. It's only going to be applied if you begin to look at your life and and only you can answer that question am I giving him the glory or have I began to take that for myself and kind of said I deserve this a New Testament story of this is the man that was had a great harvest he was rich and he he, he, he got all of the harvest out of the fields and he looked and he said man I am wealthy I've got everything I needed he had to build bigger barns and bigger silos and as the parable that Jesus said goes, he sat back one night and he said, you know what? I've arrived. I don't have to work anymore. I got everything I need. Look at all the hard work I've done. I am, I'm arrived. I'm set for life. The Bible says that night his soul was required of him. I want to tell you today that I'm never going to arrive. I'm never going to get to the place where I can stand on the accomplishments that God has allowed me to accomplish and say, look what I have done. Because that will be the moment they crumble and fall. But I want in every part of my life, God, thank you for your blessing. God, thank you for your wisdom. God, thank you for your deliverance. Lord, thank you for directing and ordering my steps. Thank you for showing me the path that I should take. And Lord, tomorrow there will be more paths that I'm going to have to stand and say, God, which way do I go? Lord, I cannot lean to my own understanding. I cannot lean to my own knowledge. But in all my ways.